0: Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry, on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw.
1: flickered in the crisis, but the light did not completely go out. And Robertson says that's an encouragement for all of us. You know, sometimes in ministry, it gets hard. Sometimes it gets discouraging. Sometimes uh, it just seems like you're pushing a rope uphill, if you know what I mean. And you just want to back away from it and back down from it. And yet, at that point in time, man, God's not finished with us yet. Sometimes we just need to take a rest. Sometimes there's seasons of rest that are needed.
0: Everyone experiences discouragement and failure at some point in their life. Even as a Christian, you'll hit certain bumps in the road, and you'll be tempted to run away from God rather than run towards God. Today, Pastor David will be reminding you that it's the devil who influences you to feel condemned and to hide from God. It's only the Holy Spirit who convicts you and causes you to go to the Lord in prayer. Even the apostles and the early church experienced setbacks and discouragement, and God lifted them up. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 13, as he begins his message, The Promise for All Men.
1: And his party set sail from Paphos, that's there in Cyprus. They came to Perga in Pamphylia, that's along the southern coast of Turkey. And John, John Mark, who was with them, departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. Now, let's deal with that right now just for a moment, and then we'll move on. There's a lot of speculation of why John would have left that missionary journey. Some feel that maybe it was because that change of leadership. We know that uh, John Mark was related to Barnabas, close relative. Some say that they were cousins. We don't know for sure. But when the change of leadership came and Barnabas was no longer leading it, maybe that's when John Mark says, you know, I don't really get along as well with, with this Paul guy. So I'm heading back to Jerusalem. We just don't know maybe uh, the romance of missions work had already been worn off. Oh, I want to go on a mission trip until you realize, man, I'm going to be away from home. I'm going to be eating different food. I'm not going to be sleeping in my bed. And there's going to be some conflict that's going on. And they've already had a little bit of that conflict. And they're headed to even more of that conflict in the following passages that we'll be looking at. Still others say that possibly it was just simply that he was homesick. We don't know if he had any other brothers and sisters, an only child. We don't know anything of his father. Maybe he was missing his mother, missing the comforts of home, the familiarity of his culture. But anyway, we do know that he left. A.T. Robertson, a Bible commentator, t- commentator, says that Mark flickered in the crisis, but the light did not completely go out. And Robertson says that's an encouragement for all of us. You know, sometimes in ministry, it gets hard. Sometimes it gets discouraging. Sometimes uh, it just seems like you're pushing a rope uphill, if you know what I mean. And you just want to back away from it and back down from it. And yet, at that point in time, man, God's not finished with us yet. Sometimes we just need to take a rest. Sometimes there's seasons of rest that are needed. If you've been actively involved for ministry for a long time, you know that every once in a while, just getting a rest and allowing God to restore and revive you is so necessary. Whatever Reason when it happened when John Mark left, Paul didn't seem to agree with the reason for his leaving, and so actually that kind of set in play a conflict that we're going to see a little bit later by the time we get to Acts chapter 15. but for right now, John Mark leaves them, he sets back to go to Jerusalem, and Paul and the company now move inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Now under the, another explanation here. There's, during that time, during the first century, there were a lot of different cities that were called Antioch. As a matter of fact, one of the conquerors of the land, one of the Roman conquerors, he named all these cities after his father. So there's Antioch here, Antioch there, Antioch. In the New Testament, we only deal with two of them. Antioch of Syria, which uh, actually became the center of the church, After the fall of Jerusalem, that was the area that Paul and Barnabas were sent out of. That's Antioch of Syria. Now we look at Antioch of Pisidia or Antioch in the region of Galatia. That's the one we're looking at right now. And this is in the area of what you and I know as Turkey. So look at verse 14. When they departed from Perga, they went north. They they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Well, this Antioch, it was a major Roman city. It was located on what was known as the Roman Road, very popular thoroughfare there going across Asia, populated by Roman government officials, a lot of soldiers, the general citizenry made up of uh, Gentiles from all over the region, as well as a good amount of Jews there. They had a synagogue there, and once again, Paul's custom was to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and to, again, try to minister to the Jews. Verse 15, after reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, sent to, again, Paul and Barnabas in the company, saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And Paul, never missing uh, uh, an opportunity to be able to share the gospel, Paul stood up and motioned with his hands, say, I I like that, he motioned with his hands. It gives great comfort to me who, if you put my hands in the pocket, I can't talk, okay? So that's the, I'm always moving. Uh, Motioning with his hands, he says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. We know that from rabbinic tradition or or sources that the, the regular custom or um, uh, the 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 style the the liturgy of the Jewish synagogues was that they would always read from the law the first five books of the Bible the Torah and then they would also read passages or a passage from the prophets and so that's what we have here and then it was they would have the option, the option of the, uh, the, the synagogue ruler or leader would then, either he would give the message or he would call on someone to, to bring a message, a, a sermon, a homily, uh, trying most often to try to get, tie together those two scripture passages from the law and from the prophets. Well, again, he invited these travelers, if they had any word of exhortation, to go ahead and share it with them. Well, Paul again took that opportunity to be able to share the gospel, and he addressed those both that were Jewish by birth and those who were uh, both Gentile proselytes, they were Gentiles who became Jews, but also within that synagogue, there were Gentiles who were not quite proselytes yet, had not quite converted to Judaism, but they were still seeking the one true God. Now, we don't know what the reading from the law or the prophets were of that day, but Paul takes the opportunity actually to bring them all the way back to the forming of the descendants of Abraham to become a people or to become a nation, a nation that was formed by and formed for God's purposes. He speaks of their release from Egyptian captivity and on through the time of King David. Look what he says here in verse 17. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Now, let me stop right there. If you underline, circle, or highlight your Bible, and I always encourage you to do that, underline, circle, or highlight that little phrase, he put up with them he put up with them. Verse 19, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. I don't know about you, but I, I, I love that fact that uh, Paul just brings lays it out there. He put up with them. For, for those 40 years in the wilderness. Again, he wasn't calling them stiff-necked, or stiff-necked. Uh, we can erase that one off the radio. He did not call them stiff-necked and rebellious. How do I get by that one, my wife? and? Uh... Throughout this portion, actually, Paul keeps a very positive spin on everything uh, as much as he could concerning Israel and their response or reaction to the word of the Lord. Now, these Jews knew that their forefathers were stiff-necked and that they were rebellious. There was no doubt about it. They understood their history. But again, Paul stuck to that positive uh, route, reminding both the Jews and the Gentiles alike that it was God who fought their battles for them. God went ahead of them. He defeated those nations there in the land of Canaan. Uh, Defeated the seven different ones and then he divided up the land and gave it to Israel. Then through his mercy, God appointed, God provided these judges for 450 years to direct the people, to give them leadership. The judges acted in many different ways. Sometimes they were the leaders in battle. Sometimes they were the leaders in spiritual renewal. But God appointed these different men and women during those 450 years until he finally came to Samuel. And Samuel, he raised up as a prophet for Israel. Look at verse 21 afterward, while Samuel was a prophet, afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, again, if you underline or highlight, underline or highlight or circle, God removed him. He removed him. And then he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So serving as a prophet for some 80 years, Samuel had warned them, do not ask for a king. A king's going to oppress you. A king's going to tax you. Don't ask for a king. But the people asked for a king anyway. Samuel got bummed about that. He went to the Lord. The Lord told Samuel, hey, they're not coming against you. You need to understand, they're coming against me leading them. And yet God gave them a king anyway. Now, these Jews that Paul's talking to, they were educated in the Torah. They were educated in the history of Israel. All of them had full understanding that although Saul started out as a humble individual, his placement as king, as ruler over all of Israel, pretty soon that pride and that ego got in his way. And with that, Saul, even as king, he brought turmoil, he brought uh, uh, spiritual decline, and he brought destruction to the land of Israel, to the nation as a whole. And I believe that that's why Paul reminded them that it was God that removed Saul. It wasn't the Philistines. It was God that removed him. God used the Philistines to remove him, but it was God's purpose to remove Saul as leader of Israel. God removed him, and then he raised up for them David as king. God set David up as the king of Israel. And again, because the Jews are familiar with their history, they knew that David was not perfect not in any way, shape, or form. David, again, had uh, those areas in his life that he struggled and battled with, and yet God used him because he was a man who loved God tremendously. As a matter of fact, God said about David, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. David was at that point in time and actually still is in Israel today, the favored son of Israel. Uh, They also knew that uh, the promised Messiah would come from David's bloodline, from the root of Jesse, Jesse being David's father. From the root of Jesse, the Messiah would come, from the lineage, from the house of David. And so Paul has brought them right down to David, and now he brings that connection in to the synagogue audience. Look at verse 23. From this man's seed, or from David's line, according to the promise... According to the promise, the promise again of all the prophetic messages. According to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy, When Paul says that it's according to the promise, there's a multitude of prophetic words that speak about Messiah coming from the seed or from the family or from the throne of David. And again, these Jews in that synagogue, they would have been trained with that from the earliest of age, knowing and understanding. Just one of those I'll share with you this morning, Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. And the Jews understood, man, that's a, that's a messianic, declaration, a messianic prophecy given by Jeremiah long after David was dead and buried and still in the grave. Even by the time that John the Baptist comes, John the Baptist's testimony, his ministry also would have been known to those Jews because John the Baptist was actually the first prophetic voice that they've had since the time of Malachi. Malachi. Hundreds of years had passed, no word from the Lord. Then suddenly out in the wilderness rises up this man in camel hair with the breath of locusts, and he is the spokesman of the Lord, calling the people of Israel to repent. John had been well-received. He had been loved by the Jewish people, not so much by the Jewish leaders, because again, he was telling and speaking the truth. And yet John made it very clear that he wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the hope of Israel. There was one that was yet to come, and even as he says, the sandals of whose feet I was not worthy to loose. According to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Paul brings the message home now, and this is what it's really all about. Look at verse 26. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree, in other words, from the cross where he was crucified. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Amen. Amen. I mean, that's what we're looking at in just a couple of weeks, our resurrection celebration, the reality that we serve a risen Savior. And Paul wants to make sure that these Jews knew. No, we're not talking about somebody that's still dead in the grave. No, God raised him from the dead in verse 31. And he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. Here, Paul declares the guilt of the people of Jerusalem, and in particular, the rulers there in Jerusalem that missed Messiah totally. They had missed and they had denied the promised one of Israel because they had missed the voices of the prophets that is read to them every Sabbath day. They heard it, they listened to it, but they missed it. They did not receive it. The message should have been familiar to them, but they still missed it. The word of God was in their heads, folks, but it wasn't in their hearts. You know the sad place of the church today? We have many who can quote scripture verses, who can tell Bible stories, but yet Christ is not truly in their heart. They've not been born again by the Spirit of God. These Jews, and for many even today, not just the Jews, but many within what's recognized as the church visible, they have head knowledge of the scripture, but they miss the fulfillment of it, even when it happens before their very eyes. The Jews of Jerusalem had him crucified, but God raised him from the dead. And his resurrection was verified through numerous witnesses, again, those that could attest at that very time the reality and the truth of the resurrection. God had promised all of this through the messages that were given by the fathers and given by the prophets all through the ages. And now Paul comes in and he wants them to understand the faithfulness of God who is fulfilling those promises, who has fulfilled them and who will continue to fulfill them. Look at verse 32. And we declare to you glad tidings. That promise which was made to the fathers God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus. And as is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David, quoting from Isaiah 55. He goes on to say, therefore, he also says in another psalm, and in this case, it's Psalm 16, you will not allow your Holy One to seek corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep. David died and he was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. He saw corruption but he whom God raised up saw no corruption. So that Psalm that David wrote in chapter 16 of the book of Psalm, he was writing prophetically of the coming of Messiah. Jesus Christ was and is the complete fulfillment of that prophetic word, spoken hundreds of years before he even came to earth as a helpless babe. And it was because of his great love and the fulfillment of his promises that God the Father sent his son to bring and make available the forgiveness of sin to everyone who believes. The forgiveness of sin to everyone who believes. But you have to come by faith. It's not given as a universal whitewash of our sins but it is made available to whoever would call upon the name of the Lord. Paul continues on, look at verse 38. Verse 38, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Again, if you highlight, circle, or point arrows in your Bible, everyone who believes is justified. Everyone who believes is justified. And then he says, justified uh, by things that the law of Moses could not justify them. Greater than the law in that Christ himself fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Therefore, the law has no hold on any who come by faith to receive that completed work of Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. That doesn't mean that we have carte blanche to live life whatever way we choose. It just simply means that we are no longer under the burden of the law because we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is talking to a group of individuals within that synagogue who were burdened down with the law Every aspect of their life was controlled by the law. And Paul comes in and says, no, it's not by the law of Moses, but it's by faith in the coming of Messiah. The law could never bring forgiveness. It simply showed how sinful we are. We go and we look in a mirror and we see in that mirror, oh man, the dirt doesn't go away, does it? That mirror doesn't have any ability at all to clean you. It just simply shows you how dirty you are. And as a matter of fact, the more intently we look at that mirror, the more dirt we see, don't we? Suddenly we realize, man, I am absolutely filthy. I don't have just a smudge, I'm filthy all over.
0: We're so glad you could be with us today as we opened God's Word and dove into the goodness and truth the Bible contains. If you've missed any part of today's message in Acts, we encourage you to refer to our website, calvarycg.org. Once there, you can browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of the Open Word. We'd love to hear from you about how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If you prefer accessing information through social media, visit our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word. Just go to theopenword.com. You'll be directed right to our page. You'll be able to explore more of Pastor David's audio there as well. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share
1: with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into the Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again, or simply let your Bible fall open. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. And I hope you'll join me again next time on The Open Word. Make us home.